poke holes in the ceiling being, you know, whoever he was. And um, Praise God for your beautiful building. But a beautiful building is not the church, amen? The people are the church. And um, boy, that's a joy to have you here tonight. And we're going to talk about some things on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night from the scriptures, particularly um, from the book of Ephesians about the church, because um, I think that uh, the book of Ephesians probably is one of the best books in the Bible that would outline for us some very practical things about the church. And it's also interesting because there are, there are key churches in the Bible. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, and we're going to read from Mark chapter number three, where he was, where he was establishing the church with his followers. And um, I believe that Christ started the church. It wasn't started by Peter or the Pope, amen? But um, it started by Christ. And, if, and then, of course, there are transitions. And we see the church of Jerusalem, which was a wonderful church. But the church of Jerusalem is really never the pattern church of the Bible. Um, the church of Jerusalem was mostly a Jewish church. They didn't really want us Gentiles. And um, it didn't do what God said. It didn't go into the world and preach the gospel. God had to send persecution. And then it went and did it. And that's one of the reasons why the church of Jerusalem wasn't really a blessed church. And they had to take offerings and send them back to the poor saints in Jerusalem, the persecution. But it wasn't really the model church. Although, once again, no church is a perfect church. All right? And so I'm not being harsh on them. It's just not what you would say, I want to be like the church of Jerusalem. Um, there are many other churches that are listed. Um, the church at Antioch is another wonderful church. The church at Antioch, though, Antioch wasn't, though, once again, a model church. Um, the way the Antioch church was started because of the refugees that fled Jerusalem. And there's nothing wrong with a church getting started by refugees, people that are fleeing from one other area to another. Um, that's good. You get people that, you know, are there, and everybody moves from town A to town B, and you have a church. Wonderful thing. But once again, that's not really what the church is about. And the church at Antioch, which we're going to look at some verses about in a little bit, it became the church that did send out Paul and others and began to go around the world and preach the Gospels. But I believe the church at Ephesus is a church that we could call a truly model church uh, because the church at Ephesus was started by the preaching of the Gospel. And people got saved, people got baptized, and the church of Ephesus began to send people around the world and to preach the gospel. And so we're going to look at a couple of things on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night out of the church at Ephesus that would be beneficial to a church that wants to do what a church is supposed to do. And um, I believe that God has put all of this together. Um, even a year ago when Pastor Matt asked, he said, is there any way you could be at our anniversary um, and do the revival for that, for that? And I looked at my calendar and said, yeah, I can be there. I didn't have to think too hard about it, all right? But um, it was a pleasure to be able to be here today for that. And, um, but we, at that time, we didn't know about Josh and his direction and his life and the ordination as that all began to come together. Um, and God already put in my heart some mind and thoughts about preaching on those things. And um, I can even see tonight the song we just sang. Um, I, I believe God works, amen? And so I want to encourage you to do your best to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. We won't be, you know, hours long. Uh, but we are going to talk about some things that I think will help your church be the church that can help establish other churches. Um, because that's a need in America. Um, it's not just, although I'm all for missions across the world, and God has me, you know, in Africa and in India a large part of the year, um, America desperately needs churches. Um, there are many, many places where there's a need for a church to be established, maybe because a church died. 
Um, there are many, many places in America where there is a group of people and they don't have a leader. They don't have a shepherd. And they're looking for the right person that God would send. And so there is a great need in our country. And I believe churches just like your church need to take up that mantle and be established in it. I follow a group of men that are planning churches. They've just planted a couple of churches out in Ohio. They've planted churches in different places. And sometimes it starts out with a lot of people. Sometimes it starts out with a few people. But over the course of years, um, if the church stays right, it's amazing what it does. And um, 30 years ago, God let my ministry get intertwined with church planting. And I've never pastored a church, so I don't have any idea what it's like to pastor a church. But I've worked alongside of thousands of pastors, um, been with many, many churches on the first day when they knocked the doors and canvassed the town, and watched those churches grow and to see the fruit that comes about. And um, that is a joy, and it can happen. And so I hope that your church will have a vital part of that, and I believe God is doing that. Amen? And so that's a blessing. So the book of Mark tonight, chapter number 3, if you would, we're going to begin reading, um, kind of jumping right into the middle of some things because of our time. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is doing miracles. He has um, some men that are following him. But this is kind of the formalization of it right here in Mark, chapter number 3. And the Bible tells us in verse number 13, that he goeth up into a mountain, he calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And it says, he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And so we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the early days of his ministry. While it is true that he had many that followed him and many that came, um, and we know that he had already called these men individually, um, he walked by the seashore and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um, he got Andrew, he got Simon, he got Matthew from the tax collecting. He gathered these men, but there came a day when the Bible very clearly signifies that he pulled them aside and he said, you're going to be with me. But the reason they were going to be with him was that he might send them forth to preach. And that is an important concept that we need to understand the sending forth. Um, you know, it's nice to keep people with us. And there are those we get to keep with us. Amen. Um, it's a joy when, when God lets a family stay together. It's a joy. My dad, uh, my parents got saved in 1973 and I was a bus kid and my, uh, went to church and um, my mom and dad came and they got saved and there's seven of us in my family. And my dad's dream was always to have, you know, his kids, the family just stay together, you know. And um, God scattered us abroad. And none of us live where my parents live today. And um, we've got, you know, everywhere from Africa to Canada to Texas. I have a brother that pastors, pastors in Las Vegas, Nevada, you know, Paradise Baptist Church. But uh, no, that's not the name. But, um, but you know, my, my family is scattered everywhere. And, you know, my dad would have loved to have kept all of us right there. But that's not what God had in mind. And, um, but because of that, there are people in churches, you know, all my brothers are pastors and um, scattered around the world doing the work of God. In heaven, we'll all be, you know, maybe God will let our mansions all be in the same cul-de-vac or something. But, um, you know, the, the desire is to keep your family. I understand that. The desire is in a church to keep, you know, people. But there are some that God says, go, go. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't ever come back. It doesn't mean that they don't ever... Um, you know, and we're going to look at this as we go through the scriptures, that it doesn't mean that they're detached from the church. But God 
the Bible says Jesus Christ ordained 12 that they should first what? Be with him, but then what was he going to do? Send them forth to preach. Now, it's interesting, and you'll just kind of keep this in your mind. Um, we're going to go to the book of Luke for just a moment and look at a couple of where this actually happened. And so Luke chapter number 9 tonight, let's look at the recording of where Jesus actually sent them out. And there's some important things to understand. That first part, that they would be with him. I was talking to a, 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 a man recently, and he was telling me a story about some pastors. And there's this particular pastor, and he has... A, um, quite a few people to go out of his church as missionaries and some of his friends you know they're all pastors and, and they, uh, missionaries go to those churches and they support them and, uh, but the, the friends one day they, they kind of got together with this pastor and they said can we ask you a question we're friends they said you know we support all the guys that you send out of your church and they said um, we have some guys that are out of our churches and they go to your church and you don't ever take them on how come you don't support any of the guys out of our churches? Now, that has to be an awkward time right there. And um, the one pastor who I know very well said, he said, I just want to ask you a question. He said, those guys you send out of your church, would you put them on your staff? Have they ever been on your staff? And the room kind of went quiet. And he says, every guy that I send out of my church has been on my staff before I sent them out of my church. He said, I trust them. He said, I don't know if you trust the people. If you're not willing to put them on your staff, why would you send them out as a missionary? I'm sure the room went very quiet. But, <laughs> but there's a principle there. Jesus said he ordained 12 that they should what? Be with him. And one of the things about, as you as a church think about sending people out and specifically talking about, talking about Brother Josh, do you think that Brother Josh is qualified? Would you accept him? as someone to serve in your church. And if you wouldn't accept him to serve in your church, if you wouldn't rely upon him to serve here, how dare would we ever to what? Send them out. And that's what Jesus said. He ordained 12 that they should first what? Be with him. You know, one of the reasons that I asked, um, Josh and I asked specifically if Lexi could come with him to South Dakota was, um, you know, I want to be able to say to pastors, this, this is a good young couple that that I could trust to do the ministry. And I, and I can say that without hesitation. I have no problem with letting them, you know, if I'm sick, you're in charge, amen? If I don't feel like doing it, you're in charge, amen? <laughs> That's the part I really like about it. You know, you could just pretend to be sick and say, you know, guys, I'm feeling tired. Are you guys going to do that, you know? And, um, but, but that's what I'm trying to say. That's the confidence that you ought to have in somebody that you're sending out. The Bible says you're not to lay hands suddenly on any man, not a novice. It's a very serious matter to say, we believe in you, we trust you with the work of God. Now, Jesus did this in Luke chapter number 9, and let's read some of the scriptures here because there's some interesting thoughts. Verse number 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house ye enter in, into there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet and for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel 
and healing everywhere. And so, and, and we won't go into all the, the details of the whys and, and obviously this being a time of the Gospels and not a time of the, the New Testament church and the healings and the sign gifts. We're not going to go into all that tonight. But I want us to see the principle of Jesus sending them out and giving them very clear instruction. And they did it. Now, look a little bit later in the chapter. It's very interesting. Go down to verse number 7. Verse number, I can look at the right place. Verse number 10. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. So, so what did they do after they went out? They came back, right? And when they came back, what did they do? They reported, right? They said, we did what you told us to do, and this is what happened because we did what you told us to do. That's the relationship that Christ established between those that get sent out and when they come back. Now, it's very interesting because look right over Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. It says, after these things, verse number 1, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and he sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. And so th this instance, now Jesus has more disciples. Um, I kind of think he probably got these disciples because of the what was taking place in chapter number 9, sending men out, and now there's more. They've grown. And so he sends these 70 out, 35 different groups, and he's going to go into these places, and he's going to follow up, and he's going to preach. But jump ahead a little bit into verse 17 of Luke chapter 10. It says, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. What, what did they do? They went out, but they what? they came back. So they didn't go out and, and, and cut the strings and never come back and respond. There was a continual relationship. And in both times when they came back, Jesus stepped aside and spent some time with them and he gave them instruction, he gave them encouragement, he gave them strengthening so that he might do something, send them out again. And send them out and they came back, send them out and they came back. Now, keep all this in your mind, let's go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts Chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. And notice what the Bible says here. Because now we are into the, the, the church age, if we might use that terminology. Christ has, has established the church. He has gone back up into heaven. He's left men now in charge as the under-shepherds of the church. And so we come to this church at Antioch that I mentioned a little while ago. And it says in verse number 1, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work were to have called them. Now once again you see this biblical pattern that these men were in the church serving. They, they, they were known by the people of the church. It wasn't just some random stranger. Um, even, even Saul, who is here listed, um, when he was brought into the church, he had to spend time with the church. And you have to understand that Saul was the Apostle Paul. Okay? This is the man who was walking down the road, and the light shined from heaven, and God spoke to him directly. This is the man who went out into the desert, in the Arabian desert. This is the man whom God spoke to. This is a man that has great authority. This is the man that's going to write these epistles later on in life, and he is still subject to the church. 
That's how important the church is. You see, I tell people all the time, um, I have no ministry without my church. I have nothing without my church. First Baptist Church of Laura, Ohio. My pastor, Josh Mowry, was his dad, Rick Mowry, now is my pastor's son. For the first time in my life, I have a pastor that is younger than me. <laughs> but I love him. And I, I respect his counsel. I respect his advice. Um, I want him to be my pastor. It's who God has put there. You see, you, you can't exist without the church. Now, let me say this tonight, Mountain View Baptist Church. If you think you have had troubles and battles in the ministry in the past, if you're serious about sending someone out into the ministry, you better put up the armor. Amen? Because if Satan can destroy the church, he will try. Why? Because it will disrupt the sending forth of a man of God. You see, anytime a church decides to advance the kingdom of God, advance things for God, Satan takes notice. He takes notice. And I want to challenge you as a church tonight. It's a very important time for you as a church to be very spiritual, to be very pure, to make certain that you have a walk with God. Because Satan doesn't like it. I mean, if we go back to, to Luke, and we won't, when they went out into the, the ministry, it was spiritual warfare. There was a battle taking place. And if Josh is going to go out, and, and I realize he's not leaving tomorrow. I realize you're not, you know, you know, as Pastor said this morning, an RV doesn't make you an evangelist, all right? You know, I realize he's going to get married, and my, my counsel to him is to been, you know, stay, stay married for a year and, you know, I mean longer, but I mean really focus on your marriage, all right? Get married and enjoy your marriage, you know, and, because when you, when you start traveling and going to churches, life changes very quickly. And um, I was so thankful for that advice that was given to me when I married my wife, Risa, was to take a whole year. And he said, don't do anything. Just, just you know, be in the church and be a help in the church, but don't try to book meetings and be out preaching everywhere because you'll be doing that the rest of your life. And my, my, my counsel to Josh has been the same. Build that little house and set it up a nice little place. Have a place when you come off the road that you can retreat to and, and raise a family. Because Satan's real. He wants to shut it all down. And so I realize he's not leaving right away, but in preparation for the ministry that God has for him, the church has to be strong. How can you, how can you send somebody out if you're not strong yourself? If you have internal strife and discord and, and people angry and people not following God, how can evangelists go do the work of the ministry? How can a missionary go to a faraway field? Nothing more distressing than the missionary is on the field and he gets a phone call and finds out his church has fallen apart. It happens. I can tell you the stories of it. A church that does nothing can expect no attack. Amen? When you are the lowest team on the, on the totem pole, nobody cares about beating you. But when you're somebody trying to do something, everybody says, that's who I want to beat. And so Mountain View Baptist Church, I guarantee you have drawn the attention of the devil. After all, you don't baptize 70-plus-year-old ladies in America hardly. You don't see what God has done here. And so, so what I'm trying to say tonight is that, that this is a very serious matter. And it was a very serious matter here in the book of Acts that they would have a strong church, the church at Antioch, 
And it was God that came down and, and has already been noted, he did not say to send all of these men out. He said there were two, Barnabas and Saul. Separate them for the work wherein do I have called them. In verse number three, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And that is what we are, are doing at this time. As a church, you have agreed together that that yes, you want to lay your hands upon Josh and say, we believe God has you for the ministry. We believe that, that we could entrust you. If, 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 if everybody in authority or position here was gone, we could take Josh and he could stand and he could lead the church. We have confidence in him. And therefore, any other church that would call and say, um, could he come and help us? We can, with, without any reservation, we can say, yes. We believe he believes the Bible. That's how serious this is tonight. And that's why if you have questions about that, you should ask, amen? Because the church was in 100% agreement that they would send these men out. And so Acts begins to tell us how they went out. Um, I think it's very interesting in verse number four. Um, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And and why I believe that the church has that authority, I think a godly church recognizes, and here's my point on this, if I say, if I say I have faith and confidence that Josh is a man of God and he knows what God is telling him and I can trust him, if Josh says to me, hey, Brother Bill, I think God is wanting me to go over and help do a Bible school in this church over here. Do you know what I'm going to say? Amen. Because that's what took place here. The church didn't tell them to go to Seleucia and these other places. The Holy Spirit of God did. And the church had confidence in them to follow the will of God. And so they gave them the freedom to do the will of God. And that's what as a church you're saying, we believe in you. And if God is leading you over here and God is leading you over here. Now, obviously, if, if he said, well, God has led me to become a Mormon. Uh, let's talk because we know that's against the scriptures. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there is a freedom because they are following the spirit of God. Now, jump ahead because Paul did his journeys and Barnabas and they traveled and they did everything they did according to the word of God. They had some good days. They had some bad days. You can read chapter 13, chapter number 14. But take your Bible, if you would, and turn over to chapter number 14 and let's just look at verse number 21. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and it taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, and confirming the souls of the disciples, and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church. So do you see the process here? These two men have gone out, and they've traveled around, and they've preached, and they've had acceptance, they've had rejection. They're now going back to places that they had already preached in and established churches in. When they go back into those churches, they realize those churches need leadership, and they ordained elders. They came in and with the church, and they said, here's a man that can lead this church, and they ordained them. And I like what it says in verse number 23, continuing. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They trusted God. Amen. They said, these are faithful men. We'll trust you. Keep reading verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and thence they sailed to Antioch. All right, this is the Antioch they came from. And look what it says. 
And from thence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Do you see the pattern? Jesus ordained 12 that they should be with them. He sent them out. What did they do? They came back and reported. He ordained 70 and he sent them out. And what did they do? They came back and they reported. They spent time again with him. In the book of Antioch, or in the book of Acts, we find the church at Antioch sending out the first men. They went out, they preached, they traveled, they did their journey. When they were done with their journey, what did they do? They came back and what? They reported. Now, we live in a day and age today where I understand we have a lot of communication and we can report. But I'm trying to paint this picture that we see that even though they were sent out and away from the church, they never left their church. The bond was there. And when they came back, people were eager to hear what took place. And so when you ordain somebody to the ministry, it's not that you're abandoning them and sending them away never to see them again. It's rather just an extension of what God is already doing right here at Mountain View Baptist Church. And I believe it's important that you would see that tonight and that you would understand that, that you're not getting rid of Josh. Amen? You're actually bringing more work and more responsibility onto the church. Now, those of you that have been here for a while, you remember different ministries that have been established. Um, I'm sure when pastor bought that first van, what'd you call it thing, the Blue Goose or the Blue Goose? I think I remember that blue van. Bad memories. <laughs> but but um, the moment that van was purchased, it became a ministry of the church, right? And I'm sure if anybody is here today that was a mechanic, you probably remember having to do something to that van all the time. Mechanic it, right? And if that van brings in children, it becomes what? More work, right? And you can remember over the years as you've added different ministries. Um, Vacation Bible School, when we added Vacation Bible School, um, that became a week of ministry. How many of you by Friday night on Vacation Bible School are utterly exhausted? <laughs> Amen. You added a ministry, right? I don't even want to know what the budget is, all right? It, it costs a lot to do Vacation Bible School. When you added the printing ministry, it became a what? Work, right? And it's getting ready to start again this Wednesday, amen? And you're going to go back in there and try to remember how to do everything. And you'll be dedicating that time. Do you, you see what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it's an extension of the church. When you do the anchor club, extension of the church. When you do the, the hope ministry, you start, extension of the church. When you do the, uh, uh, the biker rally, it's an extension. Of, all, all of that we understand, right? What I'm saying tonight is that Sending out a young man into the ministry is the exact same thing. It's an extension of the church. It's not the cutting of the ties. It's the adding of another ministry, which is going to require what? Work. It's going to require more responsibilities. And those will you'll see as time goes on. So tonight, just very briefly before we finish, I want to just read a couple of other verses. I just wrote some things down. I want to give a, cha a charge to, to Josh from 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and then I'm just going to come back and give you a couple of comments to the church, and then we will gather and pray together. Pastor Matt will come and take care of that part of the service. But look with me, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter number 1 tonight. 
2 Timothy chapter number 1. Of course, the Apostle Paul, being an apostle, I believe, had a little bit more authority and power than we would have today as an individual preacher. I believe that there was some of that ordination that took place that was left as a pattern for us. And the Apostle Paul definitely found this young man, Timothy, in his missionary journeys, a man that had gotten saved, a man that had been discipled, and a man that began to follow in the footsteps of Paul. And he's writing to him the second epistle, and I will jump into it in chapter 1, verse number 5, when Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. I'm very thankful tonight that we have Josh's grandfather here. Amen? We have a heritage passed on from father to son to son. I hope that Josh would appreciate that in a great way. That he would only build upon the legacy that God has given him. I think I'm reminded of what Jesus Christ said when Jesus Christ said that his disciples would do greater works. I believe the expectation is is the younger generation should do greater works. I believe in his heart, not from a prideful way, not in a wrong way, but his, his desire should do more work than his grandfather and his father have done. That's big shoes to fill. Because too much is given, much is what? Required. Because when somebody has taught you and instructed you, there's so much you don't have to learn at this phase of life. I meet many young men that are going into the ministry and there's many things they have to learn because they were never taught. Now, don't take me wrong, Josh has a lot of things he's going to have to learn. But there's a lot of things he doesn't have to learn because he's already been taught. He's already been shown. I think about the ministers of vacation Bible schools. He has many, many years of growing up in vacation Bible school and doing them. There's, there, there's many things that he won't, have to, he won't have to learn because he already has seen. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's, he's years ahead of where many would be. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. In verse number six, he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And tonight... The church, Mountain View Baptist Church, will lay hands on a young man. And he'll need to be reminded, Josh, you'll need to be reminded at times in your life not to forget that. Not to forget that, that people entrusted ministry to you. Um, we live in a day and age where many quit. Um, I'm often burdened about missionaries. Missionaries that go out, raise support, spend four to six to eight years raising money. Years in Bible college, they get to a foreign field somewhere, they last two years, and they come back to America. Somebody needs to say to them, don't forget the investment people made in your life. And Josh, you need to remember that because it won't be easy. There'll be times when you get out there and you say, you know what? I think I should quit. <laughs> I think I should just take an easy road. There'll be temptations not to stand on the doctrines and the truths that you've been taught. And you need to be reminded, as Paul reminded Timothy, don't forget the gift that was given to you. Verse 8 be not thou therefore, I'm sorry, verse 7, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Don't run from adversity. Don't run from the battles. God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. 
Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Now, remember what Paul just said back in verse 8? He told Timothy, don't be ashamed. And he reminded Timothy, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And then he says these words, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And tonight, Josh, when the men of this church lay their hands upon you, it's not the men of this church that are sending you to the ministry. It is the Holy Ghost. Because not one man should lay their hands on Josh unless they believe by the Spirit of God that he should go forth into the ministry. And if you don't believe that, you, you, you shouldn't. You should say, I don't believe that. That's how serious of a matter it is. And that's why the questioning last night, and to be sure that by tonight we say we believe that. And the laying on of that hands is that signification that this is not the work of men. This is the work of God, which means until death. Until death. And we live in a day and age where that may be more of a reality than it ever was before in America to preach the gospel for Jesus Christ. And so my challenge to Josh tonight is this serious commitment is a lifelong commitment to stand for God and to serve God. It might take many different shapes. It may not always be going down the road doing vacation Bible schools. It might be planting a church. It might be coming back here and serving and helping your church for a while. It might be going to a faraway foreign field for a while. The place is not the matter. It's the calling that is the matter. That God has called you to preach the gospel. And you can do nothing else. And then I conclude tonight with a charge to the church. Fulfill the commitment that you make tonight. In the same place in the Bible, Paul talked later on to Timothy. He said there was a time in his ministry when no man stood by him. What a terrible place for a preacher to be. That no man, not one church, stood by him. Don't let that ever be said about you. Don't let it ever be said about Mountain View Baptist Church that you didn't stand by the young man that you sent out. He won't be perfect. The Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. People didn't always agree with his decisions. But just because you disagree with somebody's decision does not mean that you draw back from them. Isn't that what we often do in our flesh? By the way, people do this to pastors all the time. They disagree with the pastor, so they withdraw. That is so childlike. That is so immature. If you disagree with someone's decision, it's the most important time in your life to stand by them. Because you disagree with them, what do you think they're going to do? Succeed or fail. If somebody says they're going to do something, you say, I don't think that's a good thing. And they say, well, I really think I need to do it. You, you disagree because you think they're going to what? Fail, right? So is that the time I should draw away from them? If I think that my friend, Brother Jeff, is about to fall, is that the good time for me to step back? But isn't that what we do? Hello? Isn't that what we do in Christianity? 
We disagree with somebody and we say, oh, <laughs> yep, knew he was going to do that. Smash. That's not what Jesus does. Brother, I think you're making a bad mistake, so I'm going to stay right here so that when you fall, I can catch you. And guess what? If you don't fall, I'll be the first one to say I was wrong. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. As a church, there's going to be times you're going to disagree with maybe where God leads him. Don't withdraw. Be close. And if he's right, and it's what God wanted, amen, right? But if he was wrong and he falls, you can support him. And he'll say, boy, I was wrong, but I'm glad I didn't fall. Amen? But if you withdraw, even if he's right, what have you done to your relationship? You've fractured it, haven't you? For 30 years, I've been preaching around the world, and I've watched churches do that in relationships. If you think your friend is wrong, don't withdraw from them. You don't have to agree with them, but don't withdraw from them. Be there so they don't fall. And guess what? If they don't fall, your relationship's only stronger. And so my challenge tonight to you is Mountain View Baptist Church. Don't let this young man fall. It won't be perfect. You won't always agree with everything he does. But never forget the day that you said, we believe in you. Thankfully, Apostle Paul continued on and he said that there was a church, Philippi, that began to communicate with him. There was a church, Ephesus, that stood by him. And thankfully, Paul went on. Boy, what it must have been like that time in his life to feel like he was all alone. He can be strong and go through it. But don't let him go through that, amen? Be a church that's behind him. There's so many things I could say tonight as a church. Write letters to him. Encourage him. When he comes in, talk to him. Help him now with what God is doing in his ministry. Be a friend, amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray you'd help us tonight. Lord, as we have this very, very somber service, yet a rejoicing service. Lord, I know Satan is not happy. Um, Lord, he doesn't want a church to multiply. And Lord, yes, we know there's still a time before Josh goes out and his days of absenting from himself from here are, are not in the near future. And Lord, they won't be rapid, but God, it's a time of preparation so that when those times come, it's strong. The going out is strong. And Lord, a difference is made in churches. And Lord, the church here is readied and prepared. There's so many things to talk about and to think about and how they as a church can help multiply the ministry. And God, I pray tonight as we lay hands and pray together that God would be in unity. There'd be no discord. Father, our hearts would be serious about it. We'd be committed. God, we wouldn't be somebody that a year from now is out of the church. Um, 
Lord, we, we would stay faithful. We'd be committed. Lord, that's very discouraging to a, a preacher when he's out and he comes back and a family is gone. And Lord, I pray that the people in this room tonight would remain here till death or you move them to another place. And God, bless the rest of our time tonight. Bless our service in Jesus' name.